And so what we're going to talk about today is that ultimate goal of our Christian life. And once we find what it is, which a lot of us don't even realize what it is, a lot of us have even lost sight of it. But when we find out what it is, then we, we're going to gauge our temperature today. Everyone say overview. This is an overview. So everything we talk about today, if it leaves questions in your mind, if it makes you go, hmm, come back the next three weeks because we're going to dive into detail. And you'll have the clear picture of the whole message after the four weeks are over. So this is just an overview. But once we know the goal of the Christian life, then every thought, word, and action should play into accomplishing that goal. And actually, the goal of the Christian life doesn't even end in this life. The goal of the Christian life we can find in Matthew 25. And Jesus is talking here, and he said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. And the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. He was pleased. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But this master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so this long section of scripture that we just read, is a, it's a picture of... God gave gifts to his church. Say, I'm part of his church. He's given me gifts. So he's given each one of us gifts. He's given each one of us a call. He's given each one of us a purpose. He's given each one of us a destiny. Just like he gave these three servants their bags of money. And it's a picture that not in this life, but as soon as we step over from here to eternity... 
we're going to have to answer for what we did with what he gave us, right? Everyone smile at me and say, teaching is fun because it helps me grow. Okay. So I just want to kind of bring this home a little bit. We're talking about what is our goal. We're talking about living for the well done. I'm going to read a couple sections of Scripture, fun sections of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home in the Lord. So this gives us a picture of two realms. We have this earthly realm that we can see where these earthly bodies live, and then there's at home with the Lord, which is the realm of eternity. It's where God dwells, and it's where we will spend eternity with him as soon as we step out of this earth suit. As soon as our heart stops beating, as soon as we leave this earth, as soon as we die in this body, because our hearts are alive from God, because we accepted Christ, we step over into eternity where God lives. So two realms. We have the earthly realm. We have eternity. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. It's for the well done. For we must all, say all, All. stand before Christ to be judged. For we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Smile at me. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Jesus is that foundation, okay? Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. Everyone say, the builder will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already been laid, Jesus Christ. So I just want to preface everything by saying, this is not a salvation issue. What we're going to talk about today is not a salvation issue. There's one foundation. There's one way for salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are born again. You are eternity bound to heaven, period. Amen. What we're talking about today is then the goal of that Christian life, right? We're talking about today living for the well done. So we're just going to ask a lot of questions. I'm going to get you thinking. Your mind might hurt when you leave today, but that's what teachers are for. Say, I love teachers. Say, I love you, Pastor Tony. (laughs) So we're going to look at some differences today. We're going to compare and contrast some things. Because we, you know, and we're going to take a look at what it really means to live for the well done. What does that even mean? So we're going to ask ourselves some questions. Am I 
a Christian or a disciple? Is Jesus Savior or is he Lord? And so I did a Facebook poll on my blog page. I have a blog called Tea with Tony that I write on occasion um, when I have time, and we all know how often that is when you have three busy teenagers. But um, so on that Facebook page for Tea with Tony, I just put a question out there, did a little poll, what do you think being a disciple means? And um, I got some interesting responses, but the one of them broke my heart. And it was a girl that said, it's something that I think I can never attain. And that's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to just not know how to attain what he has made so easily available to us. And so I just immediately prayed for her, but I thought we just want to take a minute and lay a foundation of really what being a disciple means. And so the word disciple means a person who believes in the ideas of a leader and tries to live according to these ideas. Easy enough, don't you think? Think you can do it? Say, I can do it. Okay, you're allowed to talk back to me. <laughs> Go ahead, it encourages me. But um, so that's what being a disciple means one who believes in the ideas of a leader and tries to live according to those ideas. It also means student, one who follows and, everyone say, and, and, and adheres to the teachings of a leader. And it also implies a continuous action, it's not just a one and done thing. It's not just on Sunday mornings I'm learning, and then I leave, and Monday through Saturday, nothing. And then I come back on Sunday morning to learn again, and then I leave Sunday through Friday or Monday through Saturday and don't learn a thing. A disciple is a continuous action. It's not just your quiet time in the morning. It's an all-day-long, everyday, continuous action of learning what Jesus said and did and applying it to my life easy peasy. And so I like to um, just remind us too that that word knowledge, when you see the word knowledge, trying to gain knowledge, that word in the Old Testament especially, always carried with it the connotation to know and do. We weren't, aren't just trying to gain wisdom and just read the Bible and read the Bible and get all this knowledge in our head and then it not do anything. In fact, after I was at Bible school for five or six weeks, um, and at, at the Bible school we went to was an intensive. It was like three hours a day of intense Bible teaching. Then you had prayer school after that. And then you had healing school after that. And then you had Wednesday night church, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, and whatever other church they decided to throw in because they had seminars all the time. So then you were there Monday through Friday, and you're like, huh, pounding your head with all this knowledge. And it was good. I love the foundation of the word that I got there. But about five or six weeks after I got there, the Holy Spirit said, when are you going to let this start affecting your life? It was good. It was making my heart happy. I was learning who God was and how big God was and what all he made available to me. And everything was so rich and so good to learn. But it doesn't do us any good if we don't do. What did Jesus say about the wise builder? The wise man builds his house on the rock because he hears and does. The one who hears only is building his house on the sand and it's going to crumble. And so that word knowledge and 
For a disciple is one who learns of the master and applies it to their life. That's easy enough, right? And so then we're going to ask the question, and let's just confirm this too. Because Christian is someone who mostly just what? When we think of a Christian, we call him a believer. And it's good to believe, but we want to come over on this side where we're a disciple who believes and does. Now, if you're a Christian only and all you're doing is believing, still good, still heaven bound. That's a good thing. (laughs) But if you're over here as a disciple and never came the way of the Christian, your works aren't going to get you anywhere. So we want both and. We want to be a Christian and we want to come over and mature into being a disciple. Amen? Amen. Now, is Jesus Savior or is he Lord? Savior, the connotation is what he's done for me. He saved me. He healed me. He delivered me. He set me free. He gives me peace. He walks with me. All the benefits and everything that he's given me which is good. We need Savior, right? But we need to come on over into Jesus' Lord. A lot of people have made Jesus Savior who have yet to make him Lord. And that word Lord carries the connotation master like over a slave. And does a slave have any rights? No. Because the master calls him Lord. That means I will do your bidding 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whatever, whenever, wherever, however you choose. Right? So we need him to be Savior because he doesn't expect to just use us and burn us out without ever refreshing us back with his peace and everything that he has provided. We just don't want to stop it, Savior, because true contentment and fulfillment come with disciple and lordship. And so we need to know, number one, that there is a judgment seat. And that's a heavy subject, isn't it? There is a judgment seat, and we've read about it. And guess who's going to be accountable if you get to heaven and don't know there is one? Your pastors. And so that's why we're teaching you. We want you to be accountable. We want you to know here what's going to happen there so that when you get there, you can't say, I never heard that. I didn't know that. So we're going to talk about all of that in this series of Living for the Well Done. So what we need to do then is make a decision. I'm going to move just from Savior to Savior and Lord. I'm going to move just from Christian to Christian and and disciple. It's a decision that we make. It's a choice that we make. And when Jesus met the disciples for the first time, you read it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I think, where he's meeting them out, you know, on the streets. And he says, hey, come follow me. He didn't handcuff them and tie a chain around it and drag them along behind and say, you have no choice. Now you have to follow me. It's a choice that each disciple made when they came into contact with Jesus because he was just that awesome. They didn't want life any other way but life as a disciple, right? So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at what is a disciple. 
We choose to follow him. We make ourselves disciples and we make him Lord when we choose to learn of him, to listen to what he said, to watch what he did, and then go and do likewise and let it affect our lives. And so we're going to look at two areas today that we can specifically apply to our life as far as being a disciple. And we're going to go into more detail. Everyone say overview. So I'm hoping really to leave you with more questions and answers today so that you can come back and get the deeper rest of the story. But the first one we want to look at is serve. One way that we know that we're being a disciple of Christ is when we serve. Matthew 20 verses 20 to 28, and I love this story. It says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt down respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked, and she replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and one on your left. All right, Jesus, I know you're king, I know you're awesome, and I know you've got a kingdom, so I want my sons to be right next to you. After all, John is your favorite, right? John is the disciple that Jesus loves, and he's your favorite, so please, I'm just asking you, let him sit at your right and your left hand. Give them those places of honor. I want to live vicariously through my boys as they sit in these places of honor so I can take their picture and put it on Instagram and everyone can see how awesome my boys are, right? Put Mookie over here and Alex over here because they're just that awesome. (laughs) But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't have any idea what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? And they said, oh yes, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And I love this. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John asked, they were indignant. You know why? Because they wanted the seats of honor. They wanted to take selfies on the throne next to Jesus and say, I am his favorite. I am in this place of honor right? But after Jesus saw all this going on, I'm sure he shook his head at him and was like, boys, come on, you're getting this all wrong here. Come here. Let me tell you something. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, which is what they were wanting to do. They wanted those seats of honor and power so it could be all about them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so if we're going to be a disciple, remember, we're going to take our temperature today. And this is how you take your temperature to see, am I being a disciple, is by asking yourself the question, am I serving? Am I serving? Because that's what Jesus said. 
This is how you lead. You serve. If anyone was worthy of being served, it was the Son of Man, right? And that's what Jesus said. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. And if I didn't come to be served, then you are not going to be served. You think these seats of honor are about being served? The seat at my right hand and my left are more responsibility than you can even count or bear. It's a cup of suffering that I don't think you're ready to drink up. But what I've called you to is to be like me and serve. And so we're going to ask ourselves, am I serving? And if the question is no, then we need to ask ourselves, why? Why am I not serving? And there's a lot of people, and I know I was one of them, who have been hurt in a church, abused in a church, taken advantage of in a church, and so we built a wall up to the ceiling so that that would never happen to me again, right? So fear of being hurt again, and we're going to look at fear a little more next week, but fear of being hurt again keeps us from serving. We're behind this wall, and we are not coming out because that was not comfortable. This is safe, and this is where I'm going to stay. So we need to ask ourselves, am I not serving? Because I'm hurt. Because guess what? That that doesn't take away the gifts that God's put in us. And that doesn't take away the fact that we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and still have to give an account. And you're going to say, but Lord, I was hurt. The church hurt me and I couldn't do that again. But you know what? The church didn't hurt us. People in the church hurt us. And we need to forgive. We need to let God heal and minister to our hearts so that he doesn't necessarily bring the wall down like Jericho. He's not going to take that wall down like Jericho. Like it's just going to fall and you just jump back in and nothing's going to be horrible about it. But he'll allow us as he heals us to piece by piece and brick by brick take that wall apart so that the hurt is less and less, so that the trust grows more and more, so that you're able to step out and to do it again. So if it's hurt that's holding you back, then let me encourage you to take that hurt to God and let him heal those places in your heart because you are still going to have to give account for the gift that God gave you. And when we stand in his judgment seat, us saying, well, I was hurt, because let me give you a picture of something. I've been taking communion every morning just to remind myself of what God has done for me, standing for some answers, healing in my body, a couple other things, just to strengthen that connection I have with him in this busy, busy time. So I read 1 Corinthians 11 every day. On the night he was betrayed. And I just thought one day, Lord, how in the world, how in the world did you know that Judas was about to run out and betray your life and you with love brought him into the most intimate dinner you ever had on this earth? How? 
how much that had to hurt. He was flesh and blood just like we are. He was able to experience hurt and betrayal. But what was most important to him was that goal of living for the well done, of pleasing his father. So this wasn't as important as this. So he was able to endure this to receive the well done. And sometimes that's what it's going to be. But we'll talk about that more in detail in the next couple lessons. But let me just encourage you to go to God. Sometimes we don't serve because we're just distracted and busy. Sometimes we've boundaried ourselves so much that there's no room to serve. We're going to talk about healthy boundaries. That's one of the questions we're going to answer in the last message is, can I say no and still be a disciple of Christ? Hmm? We're going to look at that. You'll have to come back if you want to know the answer. So if we're not serving, we need to ask ourselves why. Because we're going to give account for what we did with the gifts. Now, there's a flip side to this coin. It's called over-serving. There are just some of us who say yes to everything. Every time there's a sign-up sheet at the church, every time there's a nursery worker need, every time there's a sisterhood need, every time there's a need, I'm just going to say yes to everything. I never say no, and I come serve, and I come serve, and I come serve, and I come serve. Also not healthy. If you're saying yes to every, everything, I mean, we appreciate you. We really do. But I really feel like we're gonna, those are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to go, why did you do all that? This was all I was putting in your heart. This was all I was asking to do. And we're going to talk about that a lot next week because we're going to talk about fear. The fear of disappointing people, the fear of missing out, the fear of rejection. All these reasons why we over-serve. Anybody ever over-served? I used to over-serve. <laughs> so we're going to look at all of that. So if we aren't serving, we need to ask why. And if we're over-serving, we need to also ask why. Is it feeding my ego? Is it a pride thing? Is it because I have no backbone? Is it because I need help drawing boundaries? We're going to look at all of that. But at the end of the day, Jesus called us to serve. And we're going to give an account for what we did with the gifts that he's given us to serve with. And the last thing I want to look at today is sacrifice. And the definition of sacrifice is giving up something you want to do something else, or to help someone else. Giving up something that you want doesn't count if you give up something that you don't want. That's not sacrifice. It is not a sacrifice for me to not cook peas. I do not like peas. I never cook them. Never. Never in our whole married life have I cooked peas. My children have never tasted them. And I'm okay with that. Because I hate them. I don't just dislike them. I have a hatred of peas. So every time we go out to a restaurant that serves peas, Pastor Michael gets peas because he loves them. But I don't love them enough to cook them at home because I don't even like the way they smell. So I am not willing to sacrifice that. But no, (laughs) it is not a sacrifice to give us something you don't like. Somebody served me peas and somebody else said, can I have your peas? That's not a sacrifice. That's a blessing. Take them. Take them away. But it's giving up something that you want to help someone else. 
And this is what Jesus did in Philippians 2. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that's above every name. That cross, everyone look at the cross, symbolizes the cross that Jesus hung on. And we know that that was a sacrifice, right? The lamb slain, he sacrificed himself. But guess what? His whole life was a choice of sacrifice because we're talking about God here. He lived in eternity. The earth was his footstool and eternity can't contain him hardly. The world is upheld by the words of his power. He was there in Genesis 1 where it says, God spoke, let there be. That word, Jesus was present. The word was present in creation. And he had to learn the alphabet. He didn't come as a teenager who already knew how to talk. He didn't come as a three-year-old who was already potty trained. He humbled himself to come as a newborn baby that had to have his diaper changed and learn to be potty trained and learn the alphabet. And the one who created the trees had to learn what one was. His mom had to teach him the word for that. That was a sacrifice. He didn't think that it, his place in heaven was worth holding on to. Why? Because he wasn't living for himself. He was living for the well done. And so God has also called us to this place of sacrifice. And we love Jesus as Savior. And to condense it down, everything he is and everything he has belongs to us because he cut that covenant. But what he wants us to remember to be a disciple is to keep our focus on, yeah, because of his sacrifice, he's all mine. But the flip side of that is that everything that I am and everything that I have now belongs to him. I make myself your slave. Use me wherever, whenever, all of me, my time, my talent, my treasure, my tongue, all of it, wherever, whenever, however you choose. A slave has no say over their schedule, not any. They don't have any say over where they go, over what they do. The master declares it all. But what about my freedoms? I'm free. Yes, we are free. We're free to surrender it all to the one who surrendered it all. Right? Isn't sacrifice fun? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> That's why they call it a sacrifice. When we make him Lord... We give up our rights on purpose. And we don't keep, even get to keep part of it. Jesus didn't say, I'll go down there, but I'm keeping my glory. I'll go down there as long as I have an angel on my right hand and on my left hand, you know, going before me and fanning me and worshiping me. 
He receives worship in heaven. He did before he came. He does now. The angels worshiped and adored him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always. Laid it all down. Gave up his rights to any of it. Why? For us. For us. Jesus' sacrifice isn't comfortable. And if your life is comfortable, my life is comfortable, then I need to be asking myself, am I sacrificing? Because sacrifice isn't comfortable. Jesus didn't come to make our lives comfortable. He came to make us his. So that he could use us to bring as many people with us as we can. Right? He came to make us his so that his power and his glory could be on display through our lives. And the sacrifice on our part is that selfish old flesh that just keeps rising up. Anyone dealt with that selfishness? Our biggest arguments when the kids were little was over who got to get more sleep. It's my turn to sleep. No, it's my turn to sleep. No, I need, to, I need it more. No, I need it more. Selfish. Yes. Why don't you shoot them a text and just encourage them? Lord, I'm so busy today. I can't even take the time to open my phone and text somebody. Why don't you go tell them over there, you know, that one that annoys you, that coworker over there that annoys you? Why don't you go tell them I love them? Oh, they won't listen to me. I should invite that one to church because they need to come into contact with my presence. Sometimes that's what sacrifice looks like. It's putting the flesh under to make sure that somebody else gets to know him and somebody else gets to grow in him. Sacrifice. You know, as I read through the epistles, the letters to the church that the apostles wrote, you see over and over and over their thoughts on serving God. What an honor, they called it. A privilege to suffer for him. An honor to carry his name. A lot of times now it's more, is it convenient? Am I a disciple? Then convenient or not, when he speaks, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about when. We're going to talk about drawing healthy boundaries. But we never want to boundary out God. I can't wait to get to that lesson. It's going to be fun. Just a couple quick examples of sacrifice that bring it down to maybe something we'll understand. How many of you have heard of Hudson Taylor? He's a missionary. Um, ah, I use pictures for my bookmarks and my family. Aren't they cute? Uh, he was a missionary, and this section of his book that I'm going to read to you, it's called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. You want to be challenged in your faith walk? Ooh, this is a good book. It'll just challenge you and bring you up to some other levels. But he was getting ready to go to China on the mission field, and he went, wanted to know that he had the ability to do it. So he put some hardships on himself. It's called sacrifice. Ready? Having now the twofold object in view, Hudson recalled, of accustoming myself to endure hardness and of economizing in order to help those among whom I was laboring in the gospel, 
I soon found that I could live upon very much less than I had previously thought possible. Butter, milk, and other luxuries. Everyone say luxuries. I ceased to use every time. I read this book at least once a year, and every time I read that, I cringe because I buy butter by the four-pound thing at Sam's. And I found that by living mainly on oatmeal and rice with occasional variations, a very small sum was sufficient for my needs. In this way, I had more than two-thirds of my income available for other purposes. And my experience was that the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. Sacrifice. And then it says later, I never made a sacrifice, Hudson Taylor recalled in later years, looking back over a life in which that element was certainly not absent. But what he said was true. For the compensations were so real and lasting that he came to see that living, that giving up is inevitably receiving when one is dealing with the heart of God. Sacrifice. I've never counted butter and milk as a luxury. But it makes me think, am I sacrificing? We live in a country that allows us comforts. Am I sacrificing? Am I living a sacrificial life so that when I get to heaven, I can hear that well done? So that other people can come to know him. So that other people can come to grow in him. That's our purpose in this life. And the purpose of this message was not to bring condemnation. Not at all. I've lived in condemnation on this kind of stuff. I remember sitting in a ladies' retreat one time, and the woman was teaching on prayer, and I had a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and a two-month-old. And she was talking about all this time we should be spending in prayer. And I love prayer. It's like my deal. It's my thing. But I remember leaving that ladies' retreat thinking, I'll never get there. I'm not even sleeping. (laughs) All I do is chase kids, change diapers, and cook, and then clean up, and then chase kids, and clean up, and chase kids, and change diapers. There was no time. Until I took it to the Lord, and I said, well, can I? Because we're really good about looking at our calendar and telling God there's no time. But when I went to him instead and said, all right, Lord, this is something you're calling to do. How can I do this? And you know what? He showed me pockets of time in my schedule every day that I didn't even know were there, that I could use for prayer, and it was awesome. Don't put it in a box. Don't take your calendar to God and tell him what you can and cannot do. How about you take your life to God and say, what do you want me to do? Right? It's not to condemn us or beat us over the head, but a healthy dose of conviction is good for this all. So if it's pricking our hearts today, again, not for us to judge or bring any kind of pressure, but for us to go to God and say, hey, I'm going to stand before you. What do I need to change? Better convicted here and well done there, right? (laughs) So I'm going to end with this. 
Acts 20, verse 22, Paul said, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Woohoo! And I love verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me. And that is the heart of a disciple. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And God's never going to take something from you that he doesn't fulfill you. There is nothing more fulfilling, nothing more satisfying, nothing more energizing, nothing more joy-giving than using and walking in the gifts that he's put on the inside of us. I think the most miserable I've ever been in my life was in the season that I sat myself down and said, I am not doing it because I was hurt. I was so miserable. It wasn't until I was able to start using those again and letting him heal my heart that there was joy. The Bible said in Hebrews that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. But there was joy that came with it. Why? Because he was living for the well done. And he was able to bring all of us with him to glory because of what he endured on the cross. Oh, there's so much joy in it. So much joy. God wants to use you. He wants to use me to leave his fingerprints in this earth. Jesus isn't physically here anymore to to leave fingerprints anywhere. But he wants to use each one of us to leave his mark, to leave his fingerprints on this earth. And the question that I want us to ask ourselves this week is, am I letting him? Amen? Amen. Amen. One of the things that is the most dear to us, above everything else that we do here, is you. And our goal is, Father, in our serving we don't want what we're doing to become an idol but we do want to make a difference Pastor Tony just made the, a great statement I remember a time in our lives our married lives when we had had enough with church we had had enough with this we're done I'm, I'm tired of getting hurt I'm tired of walking out from behind the wall that I, we had built and, and we had gotten so hurt that we had boundaried ourselves right out of the blessing and we had boundaried ourselves right out of what the word of God has to say. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And in doing so, we're sacrificing what he's so freely given us and we give it away. Or... I'm going to take the time. That, see, that's what it is for me, usually. That's usually what it comes down to. Somebody needs my time, and I'm like, oh, God, come on. You know my schedule. <laughs> that thing that in, in eternity's scheme of things, it really is nothing. I just want to hold tight. I'm sorry. I'm squeezing your arm. Matters very little to him, your schedule. 
But he's in the schedule. Let me just qualify that he's not abusive either. No. He's not going to be on the overuse you side of things. So again, say overview. Overview. Come back next week. There'll be more deeper discussion on everything that we talked about today. Thank you. I'm just so glad that I have her. She makes me so much. She makes me better. Makes me better. We absolutely love you, and our our whole purpose, our our desire, our hunger to do this is to have a balanced church, healthy church. We want the Word of God, and sometimes you have to eat the peas. Even the peas. The broccoli, the asparagus, the steak is amazing. But sometimes you got to eat your veggies, and this is what we want to do. We want to see us grow up healthy and balanced in the Word of God. Amen? Can you stand with us? Life groups start this week. Make sure that you sign up if uh, there's still some room on some of those. Um, Our goal is that we would disciple you through life groups. Life groups is a great tool, so please make yourselves available to that. We want to bless you in the mighty name of Jesus and just speak this over you and just declare that you are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what he has to say about you is ever so much more important than what the devil will try to lie to you about. So we bless you with the ability to hear his voice, God's voice, through his word this week. Be self-feeders. We bless you to have the strength to feed yourself and the boldness to say yes to Christ and No to everything else that the devil tries to lie to you about. We bless you to understand and know your authority in Christ Jesus and know that the blood of Jesus has got your back in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's children said, amen. We love you. We hope that you go out and have an enjoyable day and not watch the Super Bowl. Amen. Go Browns.